Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com slash giving. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Uh, I'm excited to speak this morning. Um, if you, we haven't met, my name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Topeka First. Um, and this is for no one else except for uh, the person it's for. Happy birthday, Tay. Uh, I hope it's a great day for you. Um, I, we're so excited that you get to be as old as me now. So uh, you're my same age. I know you always make that joke. So uh, happy birthday, Tay. Uh, I'm so excited for you graduating and all that stuff. Uh, you're just awesome. So um, but this week, we are getting into our, uh, our second week of our Kingdom of Heaven series, and I'm going to do something different. I'm trying to get back into the swing, like Pastor Steve said. In a couple weeks, we're going to be in person. So I'm going to look at the camera, but I'm also going to look at the worship team. So I'm going to train myself to look in different locations. So just know that when I'm looking at a chair, I'm looking at Janae and Claire, not an empty chair. Okay? I want you to know that. So I want to start off by talking about seraphs and sans serifs. Who's excited for some serif and sans serif conversations? Okay, and if you see on the screen, this is the difference. A serif has those little things on the edge of the letters, and a sans serif doesn't. That's basically the entire difference. Sans serif means no serif. So that's, the serifs are the little frills that you see at the bottom of the letters or at the side of the S's. Those are what sans serifs are. And, and basically, we see this in fonts. In, in graphic design, we use it all the time to give different feelings to our designs, to give different feelings to what you see in a book. Like, um, you see some b- older books, they have lots of sans serifs. Maybe some modern books, they, they have uh, or a lot of serifs in old books and sans serifs in new books. There's, there's a font that you may know called Comic Sans. And what sans means is, is, it's literally saying it's a comic book font without serifs. Which means if you use comic sans in anything but a comic book, you have lost your mind. It has a purpose, it has a place, it has an exact idea and, and thing that it's used for. Every little marking, every little thing in that font gives it meaning, gives it something. It, it helps us define a feeling, an emphasis. In the same way, I want to look at these next few verses of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and they're really cool, but in this moment, Jesus is talking about the Old Testament, or what we would call the Old Testament. He's going to say the law of Moses and the prophets, but what we're talking about here is the Old Testament. And basically, he's, he's trying to correct an idea that he actually is being accused of. And the accusation that comes against Jesus is this. The Old Testament needs to go away. The law and the prophets don't matter now because Jesus has arrived. And that's not, that's not at all what he's trying to do. He's not trying to abolish those things. He's not trying to get rid of them. If he was doing those, he would be, well, a heretic. And Jesus wasn't one of those, which is great. So in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5, it says this. 
Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Like I said, for Jesus to come in and to announce that he is removing the law, he's getting rid of the prophets, would be for him to come in and announce himself as a heretic. It would be for him to come in and say, I'm exactly what the Pharisees always thought I was. But he corrects it right off the bat. He's like, hey, this is my big sermon. This is my, this is my moment to speak to the people. And here's the deal. I am not here to erase what God has already done. I'm here to accomplish its entire purpose. And then he goes on in verse 18 and says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them to them will be called great in the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Now, this is where our sans seraph and seraph conversation comes into play. So in those verses, you saw even the smallest detail, those who change even the smallest detail. Well, when we see that translated in the original scriptures, in the original language, what we're, what we're seeing is like the smallest detail or what we would call like a jot or the stroke of a pen. And, and quite literally, it could come down to the difference between a seraph and a sans seraph by removing the frill on the bottom. That's the kind of imagery that Jesus is trying to give us, is that if we even remove the seraph off the font, we are doing something wrong. I would never abolish the law and the prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs. I've come to fulfill them. I would not even change one little piece of what is going on. The law and the prophets are not to be abolished with the coming of Jesus. They're to be fulfilled. Every little bit of the scriptures are to be fulfilled in Jesus. And remember, too, this whole conversation is happening before the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So it's happening before he has come back to life. So the sacrificial system is still in place. He's still saying, hey, we've got to abide by the law of Moses because I haven't accomplished its purpose yet. I haven't accomplished the purpose of that sacrificial system yet. Everything that the Old Testament intended to communicate about God's will and hope and future for humanity finds its fullest meaning in Jesus. In fact, in Luke 24, we see after Jesus has resurrected from the dead that he's explaining the entirety of the scriptures to the disciples. And this is what he says. Then he said, 
When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's telling every single person that every single one of those, those things that is written throughout the story is all leading us along this same journey to Jesus. It's like this entire, like, it's a long trail. It's like a good trail that you go on a walk. And along that trail, you see signposts and they say, hey, just another mile. Just one more mile to this, one more mile to this. And those signposts are constantly pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament is filled with the beauty of the grace of God. It's filled with the story that's leading to this moment where the Messiah comes and he shows us how to live and then he, then he dies and he comes back to life, erasing sin The whole thing, it's leading up to this moment. And the Old Testament is this beautiful, beautiful story. The Old Testament is basically like Star Wars Episode 1, 2, and 3, if they were good. It's the anticipation to the beautiful moment of the story. And then Jesus moves the conversation along. Because the conversation before had been, would be least in the kingdom of God, or the greatest in the kingdom of God. And that's not an entry-level thing. It's, this is your standing within this kingdom of God. But then he changes the conversation. He says, but I warn you, in verse 20, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this would have complicated things a bit, right? We often read the Bible and we see the Pharisees as like the bad guys. Like, We read it and we're like, okay, Pharisee equals villain. But you know what the Pharisees did really, really well? They did exactly what the law said down to the freaking letter of the law. They did every single thing. They were so, so good at abiding the law of Moses. They wouldn't even let a single small action contradict it. But this is the truth about them in Matthew 23. Jesus says this in verse 27. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look right, like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's from the inside out that we need to live our lives right, or our righteousness, to live out our righteousness. If our actions are the only thing righteous about us, we're just like the Pharisees. 
Isn't that crazy? You can do good things and not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can be good. You can abide what the Bible says and not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he's getting at. Here's what he's getting at. It's not the job of the Christian to avoid bad behavior. It's the job of the Christian to be so consumed what Jesus has called us to that we weed it out in our lives. You know what's beautiful? A heart that's filled with generosity weeds out greed and selfishness. A heart that's filled with love weeds out hate. A heart that's filled with patience weeds out rage. It's from the heart that our actions have to spring forth. Not from our duty to a law. We're all tempted by the law. We are all tempted by the law. The law is appealing, and here's why. It gives us a clear line. It gives us a clear line that says, if I walk up to the line and I don't step over it, I'm good. So we'll call the stage the line. So as long as I don't step over the line, we're fine. I don't, if I don't walk off the stage, I'm good. I know that if I walk off the stage, I've crossed the line. But if I stay on the stage, I haven't crossed the line. But that has nothing to do with the intent of my heart. I may want to cross the line. I may stand on this side of the line my entire life, never sinning against God on paper, but sinning against him in my heart. Wanting to go past this line. Wanting to go to the other side. That's what he's getting at here. He's saying, hey, the Pharisees know exactly what to do, exactly how to act, but they don't know how to be. They don't know how to have me so ingrained in their hearts that they would not sin against me. There's a big difference between legal and right. It's, can I get away with it, versus, is it righteous? There's a big difference there. And so I thought the best way to illustrate this is to talk about the 1998 Eastern Conference Finals of the NBA. In game four, the Indiana Pacers are playing the Chicago Bulls. And if you don't know, Chicago, the Chicago Bulls have just won the title two years in a row. They're trying to get their second three-peat, with, and their team is led by the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan. And in game four, they have, they have won the first two games in, in Chicago. They go to, to Indiana, and in Indiana... The Pacers win game one, and then there's a tight game at the end of game four. It's a really tight game. And at the end of the game, the Pacers have an inbounds pass, 
and they're down, but if they score here, they basically win the game. And their team is led by Reggie Miller, who you can see on the screen. This is Reggie Miller, and that's Michael Jordan, in case you didn't know. And basically what happens is, Reggie Miller is interviewed about this exact play, and you can take it off the screen, this exact play in the documentary, The Last Dance, and here's what happens. Reggie, they ask him to go through the play, and he's like, you know, late game, here's what I'm thinking, here's what's going on. Um, We wanted to put the referee in a position where he had to make a call. And referees are notorious for not making calls late in game because they don't want to affect the, the outcome of the game, so they don't make small foul calls. They, they, it has to be egregious. And basically, Reggie Miller was like, I was going to put the referee in, in a place to make a foul call. And so here's what happens. As the whistle blows, Reggie Miller runs straight at Michael Jordan. And can you put that back up on the screen? Because this is the exact moment. So Reggie Miller runs into Michael Jordan, two hands shoves him, and then he runs over to the side, gets the ball, and he shoots the shot. He drains it, and he ties the series up two to two. Two to two. Asked about it later, the, the, the interviewer basically said, hey, what, Reggie, was it a push-off? Did you push off? And Reggie kind of smirked and admitted that he fouled Jordan. He knew he had fouled Jordan, but the referee didn't call it. That's the difference between the law of the, and the righteousness of the Pharisees and the righteousness of Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus says, I don't have to be called on it to know whether I'm doing right and wrong. I'm informed by the scriptures, just like Reggie Miller was informed by the rule book, and he was able to make that, that call on himself years later. He had lost the series, so he didn't really have anything to lose by admitting it. And he, he said, I fouled him. I fouled him. It's why when we, you play pickup basketball, you know when you fouled somebody. You know. It's whether you're willing to admit it or not. We all know the rules. If we've read the scriptures, we know what righteousness looks like. Are we willing to admit it in our heart? Are we willing to have it so ingrained in us that it's who we are and the righteous actions that flow out of it are just a natural response, not us gritting our teeth and trying to white-knuckle righteousness? This is why the scriptures talk about having righteousness written on our hearts, the law written on our hearts. Because it's not good enough to just have the head knowledge. The Pharisees had the head knowledge. It's not good enough to just know. It has to be who we are. There's a beautiful psalm that David writes It's Psalm 51, and here's what it says. 
You, and he's saying this to God, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer you one. You do not want to burn offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifices offered in the right spirit. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Ultimately, what Jesus is trying to lay out here in this moment is if the heart hasn't changed, it doesn't matter if your actions changed. And we have to pair that with the, the story in James, or the, the concept in James where faith without deeds is dead. So if, if we feel like our heart has changed, but our actions haven't changed, maybe our heart hasn't changed. Because we know that, that if, if our actions haven't changed, then our heart hasn't changed. But if only our actions change and our heart hasn't changed, we haven't changed. It's got to be both. It can't be single-minded. And what David's psalm says to us, what David's psalm is communicating to us, that it is by grace. It is by grace alone that we can achieve righteousness. That's what the whole concept of the New Testament is. It's saying Jesus' sacrifice is enough, and the grace of God is enough. I can't white-knuckle it. I can't try hard enough. It is only by His grace. It's only by His grace that we can live a righteous life. I'll give you a little teaser for the next couple of weeks. This, this whole last verse where he's talking about the righteousness of the Pharisees versus what should actually be is, is the righteousness of Jesus is setting up his entire discourse going forward. You're going to hear a lot of this statement over the next couple of weeks. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. This is the concept. And then he's going to go into how we live it out in different situations, in different moments. You have heard it said that the law was the standard and abiding by the law is one thing. But I say to you, your righteousness has to be greater than the Pharisees. This is the standard you thought. I'm not removing it. I'm raising it. He's calling us to more, not to less. He's not abolishing. He's fulfilling. He's not tearing down. He's building up. If our heart hasn't changed, it doesn't matter if our actions changed. Let's pray. God, this morning, would we experience the grace that you give that leads to righteousness?
God, I pray that we would be so open to what you want to do in our lives today. There's so much that could be done. There's so many little things. But God, I pray that we would come to you just like the psalm with a repentant heart because we know that's what pleases you. We know that is what pleases you. Not when we fulfill the law down to the letter. When we come to you with a broken heart that says, God, forgive me. I know I'm not good enough. And that's when your beautiful grace comes and restores us and lifts us up. God, we thank you. If anybody's watching today and you've never experienced that grace of Jesus Christ, his unmerited forgiveness, that we couldn't earn, that is given as a gift. I pray today is the day that you make a decision to follow him with your life. Just as Pastor Mike said last week, the scriptures say we confess with our mouth. And I believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord will be saved. And so it's as simple as, God, this morning, I'm choosing you with my life. Forgive me of all the times I've messed up. I know I have. God, I want to live my life for you today. God, would your grace come and empower me to do all the things that you are going to call me to do your scriptures call me to do. And that's it. For those of us that have been trying the white-knuckle righteousness, trying so hard to hold on to it and do it on our own, I pray that this morning we let go into the grace that you give. not about my effort it's all about who you are thank you God in your name we pray amen